What's going on, everyone? Quick disclaimer before we get into today's episode with Jim and Mark. It is a great episode. We're talking about all things FTX. The reason I wanted to give this disclaimer is because FTX is a particularly sensitive topic. It's also an unfolding situation right now. We don't have a lot of the facts, and the facts that we do have are subject to change. Everything that is expressed in today's episode is largely based on opinion and firmly within the realm of speculation. Furthermore, as you'll see later in the show, some of the opinions that get expressed during today's episode are not necessarily things that I agree with and don't necessarily reflect the view of BlockWorks, but on the margin is an exploration of big ideas. It is a debate at a philosophical level. Just because I don't agree with something doesn't mean that it shouldn't necessarily be in the show. And I'm going to leave it to all of you, my very smart viewers and audience, to make up your own minds about what you see today. So with that being said, I got a great show for you and I want to welcome Jim and Mark. All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko, and we've got a guest host on uh, for you here today, Jim Bianco. Jim, Mark, welcome to the show, guys. No, so excited, and, and I'm super excited that Jim wore the color that I wanted to wear, blood red. Now, I'm, I'm going to do the quick reveal. So I do have the Lord Rothschild red pants on instead of the Bitcoin orange, and I have mm. the... Uh, Bitcoin cold storage or Bitcoin winter, you know, uh, crypto winter socks. I went back and forth this morning. I didn't know whether I was going to wear the rest in peace. So I got the black on top, the rest in peace, Bitcoin. Uh, Again, we have 503rd article saying that Bitcoin was dead this week. 503. It's amazing. Nice. Crack 500. uh, Yeah. So, but I went with the, the crypto. People think we're back to crypto winter. We're not. This was just a nor'easter. You know, I live down here in North Carolina, and about every 10 years or so, we get a monster storm in the middle of spring, snowstorm. And it's just a nor'easter that spins off the coast, drops all this snow, and makes living in North Carolina hell for about a week because we don't know how to deal with snow. But uh, I think that's what this this whole FTX debacle has been. So anyway, that's that's my ensemble. For, for today. But Jim's got the right color, blood red, because there is blood is, in the you, streets. Did you do that intentionally, Jim? Do you, do you dress for us this morning? I wasn't thinking of it, but I do have my sock reveal. <laughs> I have no socks on. Oh, because ah, that's, no that's where we are today. That's where we are today in the markets. We're busted out with no socks. Yeah, we are. For right. those of you who aren't following along with video, Jim, I was pretty impressed by that flexibility, my man. I'm not sure I could have done that little maneuver that you <laughs> yeah. just pulled yeah. all the way up I'll to the camera in, there. I'll, I'll be in physical therapy this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> by um, the way, by the way, what, okay. are we gonna, what are we going to talk about? Because not much happened. So I guess Mark not and I, we could talk. Yeah, we week. could talk Notre Dame Slow football for the first half hour or so. How about that yes! Clemson game? <laughs> yes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I don't recognize that team. After, yes. Uh, yeah. Where'd they find those 85 guys for that game? <laughs> oh, man. No kidding. It was, you know, I, I just did on that. It is rare to watch a team dominate another team, unless you watch Alabama football, which does it all the time. But I mean, Clemson's not a bad team. They might not be the Clemson right. of old, but they're not a bad team. And Notre Dame dominated both sides of the ball. You know, I sit like right behind the the visitor bench and Dabo was pissed, like the whole game. I mean, he was pissed at everybody. He was pissed at the offense. He was pissed at the defense. He was pissed at the special teams coaches. He was just pissed. They came and, through on uh, the air too. You could see it with him on the air too. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. but I appreciate that, Jim. Thank you for that. <laughs> Uh, I guess we, we'll, we'll make this podcast majority Notre Dame football, but I think the audience would be a little pissed off if we didn't talk about FTX uh, at all. So 
basically, I'll, I'll give a like a timeline of events, then I'm just going to toss it over to you guys because I'd love to get your your high level take. But you know, essentially, this kind of start, this is all unraveled very quickly, right? And and from from my way of thinking about it, this kind of started at around 11 a.m. on on Sunday. There was a actually a I guess the the first salvo in this was a, was a tweet uh, from SBF himself, uh, you know, responding to someone else saying, "Oh, hey." Glad, you know, glad to see CZ in Binance. Uh, is he allowed in Binance? CZ responds around 7, 11 a.m. On a, on a Sunday, basically saying something to the effect of, we are selling our FTT. Um, Caroline, uh, Caroline Ellison, the, the CEO at Alameda, responds, CZ, you know, within minutes, uh, CZ, if you'd like to minimize the market impact of FTT, we'll buy everything from you at $22. A lot of people watching this thought that was pretty funny, uh, calling out a price target. I mean, the implication was if Alameda actually wanted to buy FTT at the most advantageous prices, they just let it dump, buy it all back and make a profit. It seemed like they were trying to set a floor, basically. Uh, just for background, I run Bianco Research and I am affiliated with a brokerage firm, Arbor Research and Trading. That doesn't make me an expert in brokerage firms, but I've been around one and I've been a part owner of one for almost 30 years now. <clears throat> and you never, ever, ever put a price floor or a price level out there because ever, you're basically ever. saying below this price, we're done. And you know that every speculator is going to say, OK, I can short it to twenty one dollars and ninety nine cents. And then the price will collapse to three bucks and I could cover my short. You're challenging the entire market to test that level. You never, ever do that. And that was just such a fundamental mistake. Originally, I think what kicked this off actually was Coindesk reported on uh, Alameda's balance sheet. It was about $14.6 billion worth of assets. I think everyone was pretty shocked by what that com was comprised of. Like Alameda, you know, was kind of this thought of as this bulletproof, very smart, smartest guys in the room, sharks uh, type. That was their vibe, right? You didn't hear Enron, a lot from them. Enron, you kind of, Enron, Enron. <laughs> you, you kind of, you, you had that. You had that idea, right? They were they were on the right side of every trade, all this stuff. And then when you looked at their balance sheet, it was an enormous amount of FTT, right? It was about $2 billion worth of actual FTT, about $3 billion worth of FTT that had yet to be unlocked. A lot of people looked at the float of FTT and said, wow, they're about to unlock more FTT than the entire circulating float of this token. And then it was like a whole bunch of uh, eco, you know, Solana ecosystem tokens. And I think most people, when they looked at Alameda's balance sheet, would have expected to see a whole bunch of cash, maybe some Bitcoin, maybe some ETH. This was very, I think, very surprising to a lot of people. And we can get into like the myth that built around Alameda and how Sam kind of talked about it in the early days. But I think this basically just spooked a lot of people. Essentially, uh, what this caused was a run on FTX. A lot of people, um, you know, ourselves included, I think when this was happening, you know, you, you're thinking to yourself, FTX is an exchange, right? I, how, how could, why would there be a run on uh, on an exchange? And when, when people were, uh, when this was happening, when people were, withdrawing from FTX, these sleuths were trying to pinpoint the cold storage wallet of FTX. They were looking for where did the funds sit on Back chain? Back to my because socks. You can do that. The cold storage socks. There we go. The cold storage socks. You can do that for other large chains, right? Like you can go on Nansen, you can look at uh, Binance's cold wallets where the, a bunch of Bitcoin and Ethereum are sitting. And everyone was like, well, I could, couldn't do it, couldn't do it for, uh, for FTX. This was when people began to speculate that there was no cold wallet because the funds at FTX were actually being lent out to Alameda. And what his, the picture that has since emerged is basically what happened is a bunch of customer deposits uh, from FTX were lent out to Sam's trading arm. There was no Chinese firewall in between these two 
institutions. It was collateralized with FTT, hence the $22 price point and why that was so important. Uh, people basically figured out this relationship and um, now it looks like the the hole, right, in uh, in FTX's balance sheet is about anywhere from six to $10 billion worth of customer deposits that got lent to Alameda, which were levered to the price of FTT, which has since collapsed into oblivion. So they basically have no hope of paying so, it back. So can we put a definition on what whole means? What that means is that they took your money, my money, or anybody's money on FTX, they speculated with it over at Alameda, and they lost it. And now that everybody mm -hmm. wants their money back, they don't have it anymore. And that's what the whole mm -hmm. means. And so they need somebody to show up. I guess the latest one who's trying to show up is Justin Song. You know, he's saying he's got billions to give to them. We'll see if that materializes uh, to fill that hole so you can reopen the firm. But the problem with that is what's going to happen when you reopen the firm? That $6 billion is going to leave. So is the firm worth $6 billion? Because that's what you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to put six in and then let everybody leave and then say what's left. I'm willing to pay six billion dollars for it. Yeah, and it's and worse. It's that, worse, right? It there, yeah. there are allegations, and you know, I, I can't substantiate them, but but there there's a lot of things that are pointing to them being true. That um, some of the money wasn't actually speculated away. That that yeah, I, I might give someone a pass for being a bad trader, right? I, I, I won't give them market. a pass. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if they were doing the right market, right? But but if they right. were punting in stocks, which has been alleged, no, you know, no favor for that, right? I mean, that that is unconscionable. But but you know, this is a bunch of crypto bros and millennials and day traders and meme stalkers. So okay, fine, that that could have happened. But uh, I guess bros and and broettes. Um, I don't know what the term for gal is, um, but there's at least one. But here's the thing. I've never heard bro at. I know. Yeah. Maybe we could coin, that on, coin that on the show. But but here's the thing. There are allegations that that money was given directly to political candidates. That's not a coincidence. Well, I, I think there are I think there are multiple levels to unpack here. And I want to, there's so many different uh, angles that we could approach talking about this, but I want to talk about contagion and the impact of this unwinding, basically. I want to talk about the, uh, you know, political implications here because I think in many ways the most damaging thing that SBF did was make these donations and then essentially take all these photos right he was the golden boy kind of in in DC and the word around you know that the hill was basically go meet with Sam and you're going to have your you know your campaign donations taken care of for the next x number of years and take a picture with him while you're at it because he's the golden boy now he's essentially embarrassed these people yep uh and now they're going to have to look tough uh, as a result so Michael maybe let's that was the plan that was the plan. I, oh, oh, I'm, this is the plan. The regulatory avalanche that's coming was the plan. So and it's let's, let's talk about this. And this it, is scary know, stuff. And it, it is coming. You're you're absolutely right. It's one thing if you take three hundred dollars from somebody who does something <clears throat> inappropriate, you give the money back and you you know you badmouth them. But when you take the amount of money that he gave out, you can't give it back. So the only way you can save your embarrassment is you have to punish somebody or something. And right. that's the crypto industry. What's coming right. next is not regulation. It's punishment is what's coming next. Punishment. Yeah. And that's what- yeah. But it's not going to be the perpetrators. Caroline will not be punished. SBF will not be punished. Mark my words. Neither one of them will be punished. 
we, the industry, will be punished. So, so what does punishment look like in this, right? There's a, there was a, you know, but before all of this happened, right? It's SBF within kind of core crypto circles. There were, there were, very, there were two very different, um, you know, people outside of crypto and people inside of crypto viewed him in two extremely different ways, I would say. Um, you know, Sam was basically the cover of every magazine, right? He had the naming rights to the Miami stadium down there. You know, he sponsored TSA. He was, he was, he was this, uh, and in DC, he was kind of seen as this very pragmatic, uh, you know, the next Warren Buffett. As, the next Warren Buffett. Is yeah, yeah. Fortune. That was said. that was the t- that was yeah. the title of the the magazine article. Right. Um, Michael, you know, with, you met him? Crypt- I, I've interviewed him before. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what was your what was your take of his intellectual prowess when you interviewed? My him? honest my honest gut take is that he's a smart dude. He's a smart guy. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I, I yeah, I I think. Uh, you know, he, he had a couple of analogies that really helped me understand a whole bunch of things. Um, you know, I thought the interview that he did on Invest Like the Best with uh, Patrick O'Shaughnessy, the guy has an understanding of how markets work, at least in my yeah. opinion. Okay. I, thought he, okay. I thought he described it pretty well. Went to um, MIT. MIT. He's got an MIT yeah. degree. Yeah, I was going to say. He has an MIT degree. So in, in theory, he's a really smart guy, right? Did you watch right. the Voorhees debate? Yes. Okay. I'm glad that you brought that up because in... If you are sympathetic to crypto, you thought he got trounced in that debate, right? You thought he was on his back foot, reactive, et cetera. We're moving seamless shelf promotion. We're moving DAS to DC because that is basically where the most important conversations are going to happen in this industry over the next two years. I've been having a lot of conversations with regulators. We watched two different debates. The, the DC crowd thought that Eric Voorhees came across as uh, ideological um, unrealistic and rather childish. And they thought SBF came across as the adult in the room, the guy who had a sound head on his shoulders. I'm telling you, we watched two, two different debates. No, no, no. This is the PSYOP. Did, did you watch the last part where he was giving him the email analogy and having yeah. Sam then try to refute? Okay. Mm-hmm. Sam was looking at his feet. His right arm was shaking. He went, um, and, uh, he was a huddled mass. This he wasn't even you, on I, camera I half the time. The camera was on oh top my of God. his head, you know, and stuff. And he's I've seen enough of his interviews that he's at least enough tech savvy. I'm like, what's going on here? He knows when the camera's not faced on him and he seemed distracted. That wasn't the Sam Bankman Fried I've seen in other interviews. They are pawns in a chess game. And he is not the grandmaster. CZ is so not. So we should go to to Caroline's father and who Caroline's father worked with. Is that the next yeah. point we want to go? Yeah. Caroline's father yeah, let's is go the there. head of the economics department at MIT, uh, where Sam got his degree. And that was, who was the boss on the staff? of. It, yeah, the boss of Gary Gensler when he was doing his blockchain no. uh, pro, uh, blockchain course over at MIT. His boss. And Gary was Gary father. has some job now. Gary has a job now. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's the Southeastern Conference. Oh no, the other SEC. Oh, Southeastern. Yeah, Con- yeah back to football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh God, maybe this could be my my young naivete here. I, I'm going to push back here and say I, I I'm not sure how this could be part of a plan because I just think this is a guy who had an enormous amount of hubris. Uh, who I, I do think my my honest gut take is that he was a smart guy. Like I you know I I think he was a smart guy. I think he did a pretty. I think basically the entire, I agree with your analysis uh, at, the, at the, the top of this, Jim, which is that basically this entire industry got levered to Luna, which is shocking to me, but they did. 
And what happened was uh, everyone basically blew up on the same thing, but FTX, because they had more resources, were able to hide it more effectively. Um, no, you know, this Michael, is, this is the, Michael, who blew up Luna? Um, I mean, I think they had something pretty unsustainable. You no. know, they were, who they, wrote they, had the a, tweet? they had a, who wrote the tweet on exactly how you blow up Luna? I'm actually not hundred percent okay. sure. Who so we, 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 we know, we, we know it exists, right? All, it, it, it went mm-hmm. line by line. You borrow the Bitcoin, you short the Bitcoin, you, you know, you know, do the following things, you know, about the third to the fourth epic in, in the, the, the anchor thing. So it was laid out in November of last year, line by line. And the, the, the accused, what they, they accused, you know, we, the collective, we all accused Citadel or JP Morgan or, or somebody like that, BlackRock. Um, let me go with this for a second. What if it was them? So here's the weird thing. If you're a regulator, which group would you investigate first? A shady offshore group not incorporated in the U.S., with their major investor, a Chinese national. That's nothing against Chinese nationals, but that, you know, we have this weird thing in the U.S. against China now. It's like the Soviet Union. Or would you go after a firm based in New Jersey or a firm based in Kansas City that, that you know, does crypto lending? I don't know. I, I probably would go after the offshore one. Oh, no. Hmm. So Otteru, which, by the way, the Otteru Twitter account, shut down, gone. How Mm. did Otteru get inside documents on Celsius and leak them? And then Mm. who shows up to save them? Oh, FTX. And then they decide not to. Oh, how does Otteru get inside documents on BlockFi and leak them? And who shows up? FTX. Voyager. Shocking, FTX. So what if, right? Again, go all the way back to the beginning. This was the plan to say, what is the greatest threat to the banks? Hmm. What's the greatest threat to the banks? A new financial system. A new financial system. Based on self-sovereignty. Based on self-sovereignty. Things like stable coins. If a million dollars leaves the banks and goes into a stable coin. Do the banks care? Eh, whatever. Billion dollars. Don't care. Hundred billion dollars? Now we have a problem. So what do you do? You attack the stablecoin first with your PSYOP organization that you set up, that mm. they set up. Gensler and Ellison and Freed. Or fry. I, is it is it lost on anyone the irony that Sam Bankman fried? <laughs> it's, I mean, is, am I the only one that sees that? Right? Yeah, you pronounce it freed, look, but it, it's it's I, written fried, and 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 it's Bankman. So bank, the banks organized this whole thing. They took down Luna, and what was what happened the next day? Literally. Not even 12 hours after Luna collapsed, who was on TV calling for regulation of stablecoins? Janet Yellen. 
Yeah, but hold on. Sorry, I gotta. So I'm I'm gonna push back. Okay. I'm sorry, Mark. I, I don't agree with you. Um, I I think this was entirely self inflicted by our own industry. I gotta be honest. I know a lot of these people. Like I I've known some of the the teams that have collapsed. And I gotta be honest with you. Not everyone. I will say, BlockFi shut its doors yesterday. RIP. BlockFi is an excellent management team. I personally know some of the management teams of these companies. They are not moles. They are. I'm sorry. Maybe nice people. They're incompetent. I know a lot of these management teams. I don't, I just view them as like, this was a totally self-inflicted wound. I think this was a story of like ego gone awry. This was an Icarus, like flying too close to the sun type deal. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, you could make an argument here about like what CZ's ultimate aim was. I'm starting to really view CZ within the mold of like the Gilded Age of like the Carnegie and the Rockefeller. Like there, I, I have this anecdote prepared. I'd love, I want to go back and talk about what Rockefeller did when he was consolidating the yeah. oil industry and the, the railroads, like it reads like something that we're watching right now, but I just don't, I, I have a lot of trouble believing that this is the, I just think it's self-inflicted. I personally, it's self-inflicted. It, self yeah. Self-inflicted to the extent that I don't think that this was CZ's plan to bury FTX mm -hmm. in this way. I think when his tweet yeah. came out to say, I'm going to sell my FTT, let's back up. Uh, you know, Mark, to take it one step further, what else was FTX doing was they were whispering to reporters, you know, bad things about CZ. And there was even stories written about his kids. And that really upset CZ that Sam was doing that. So they had a big falling out. And then Sam spending all this money, uh, you know, as I like to term it, he was trying to get Congress to write the FTX business plan as the crypto regulation. Uh, and exactly. so CZ wanted to put him down. Not put him down, collapse him. He wanted to embarrass him. So I'm going to yep. sell my FTX token and I'm going to make a quick remark that you're going behind our back in Washington. But I don't think his plan ever envisioned, oh, in 36 hours, this firm will be done at that point. And part of the problem there, I think, is not only did we not understand that they essentially, Alameda essentially blew up with Luna uh, and it's a legacy of that, but brokerage firms operate on trust. That's all you have. Why do we have capital rules? Why do we have segregated assets? Why do we have haircuts? That's all a ruse to make you say, trust me with trust your me. money. Yeah, right. Now, right. the problem is going back to what you said about with Washington viewed it one way. I'm with the crypto um, audience. I've had a suspicion about Sam for a long time. Going back to the Odd Lots podcast in the spring, when he called DeFi basically a, a Ponzi scheme and a scam, mm -hmm. and that he was he did not have the best interest in heart for this industry when he was talking yeah. in Washington. Brian Armstrong, who I think the world of, he's having closed door meetings in Washington all the time with regulators. No problem. I trust that he's in my interest, the industry's interest are aligned with his interest. Sam, Me too. Sam's closed door meetings. I don't trust him. So at the first sign of trouble, I think the industry was ready to cut and run from this guy. And so what CZ didn't realize was he opened the doors to hell and everybody ran. The money wasn't there to meet the withdrawals. And that's why they wound up having to close their doors. By the way, I, I said, you know, I I've been in the brokerage business, and we saw this with MF Global, with John Corzine 10 years ago. I was going to say the this is This Corzine. happens. Yeah. This happens. The, the, the inappropriate use of customer funds. There is a 100% uh, 
track record. That he worked for some a, firm. I can't remember the name of it. What, what firm did he work for? I think it's, it started with Goldman and ended with Sachs. Is that the firm right. you're referring to? Right. Or you're not and referring gold, to the firm. Goldman kind of sounds like Bankman. Right? Yes. I mean, you're not talking about the firm. They're probably kin Gov- somehow. They're probably related right. somehow. He had another job in between and it started with Governor and ended with New Jersey as well, too. Yeah. There was that yeah. job as well. But uh, Corsine. Corsine uh, was also the guy who oversaw, there was a hedge fund that blew up called Long-Term Capital Management. Mm-hmm. And Goldman very famously, right, uh, when Long-Term was in trouble, uh, a, they were looking for a bailout. They said, hey, uh, Goldman, come take a look at our books, right? So they drove out to Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, Corzine goes and, and takes a look at the books. And what does he do? Does he help them? No. He funnels their positions to Goldman traders so they can poach it and actually make it worse. Goldman made a whole bunch of money, but sorry, let me just, yeah. Yeah, right so so this this industry you know operates on trust, and when that trust is gone, I was just going to say, I've seen this, Mark. You've probably seen this a hundred percent of the time that a brokerage firm has to suspend withdrawals because of a bank run. It becomes permanent. When you yeah. suspend, you are done. You never done. recover from that, and that's going to be the problem that BlackFi is going to have right now too. Is you, it's almost impossible to recover from that. The last thing I want to bring up is FTX, I want to make sure everybody understands, this is more than just, you know, my account, your account, you know, retail accounts. There are other brokerage firm accounts, BlockFi we found out, you know, there are VC accounts, multi-coins in there. There are trading accounts that are in there as well, too. Galaxy Digital has already said they're on the hook for $77 million. And there are many, many more professional accounts need access to their money constantly. You or me, oh, okay, I can't get my money till tomorrow. Okay, that's fine. But a professional account has obligations, has trades to settle now. They have to bring money in now. When you suspend that, they default then to their counterparties who then, because you defaulted them, have to default to their counterparties. This is going to be a daisy chain that's going to go on for months. The daisy chain from Terra continued this week with FTX. Mm -hmm. The daisy chain from FTX could go on for another year before we finally find out. It took us six months to get to this point with FTX from Terra. How long is it going to take before we get to the end of the line with this FTX problem? And now oh, it's going to go. It's going to go. And here's the thing. <laughs> it's all going back to Sam's mom. It's all going back to the Democratic Party. Y'all do know, right, that, you know, they had the big memo yesterday, the humble brag from from Sequoia. Oh yes, we we lost 150 million, but we've made 7.4 billion on our other stuff. Love that. Um, you you guys do know that Sam personally invested 500 million dollars into Sequoia and one other firm. And where did that money come from? Where did that money come from? I actually it's part of the that whole. I was like Michael. I was it's like, the where hole. is this? It's the whole. It's, this yeah, is a money laundering. Hole. This is a money laundering yeah. front for the Democratic Party. This whole thing, this entire organization, is funneling money into because who are the partners of those Silicon Valley firms contributing to the super PAC that Sam's mom runs? Check it out. It's. This is um, this is one of the most unbelievably elegant takedowns of a competitive threat. This rivals what, to your point, back to history, what J.P. Morgan and John D. Rockefeller 
did to the Knickerbocker Trust and the entire trust industry when the trust industry was taking share from their beloved banking industry. They mm. spread a rumor that they, that Knickerbocker Trust, okay, was insolvent. You've seen the picture, the men and women in their top hats and their dresses and their umbrellas doing the run on the bank. Who stepped up to personally guarantee JP Morgan? JP. Um, I, I'd love to get a sense from you guys of like the magnitude of the, uh, you know, what's your sense of the magnitude of the contagion that's going to play out here? Because I think one of the things that was a little uh, surprising to me is what's my interpretation of what's come out in crypto is that all of this activity, right, in 2021, the majority of it was basically. 10 enormous firms that were levering up and trading with each other. So there's a lot of comparison to this being crypto's Lehman moment. The difference, right? What was that big money market fund that, you know, broke the buck? Reserve, reserve fund. Mm -hmm. Right. There, what was the exposure to Lehman paper in that four fund? Four percent. It was 4%. They, right. they, they printed 96 cents on their uh, NAV the day after Lehman filed right. for bankruptcy. So... What would you guess is the average exposure that these other counterparties have to Alameda? You basically know that they have exposure to Alameda and you would, the best case, right, would be sub 5%, right? In some of these cases, you have to imagine it's much, much higher than that. Oh, sure. So that's why you, I'm, I'm just like, it's hard to imagine how this daisy chain is going to settle out and, and what's going to happen when all the dust settles because I think someone has to come in and backstop this, right? Like- Am I getting this wrong? Am I being no, too no, dramatic? No, you're not getting this wrong. See, the, the problem with centralized exchanges is that the business model is inherently unstable. It blows up yeah. all the time. It does in TradFi yeah. all the time. It blew up in 2008. It blew up with MF Global in 2011. It blew up in 2020. What's the difference Saves in TradFi? crisis. I mean, you yeah, go back, exactly. back in What's history. the difference in TradFi? You've got a central bank with a printing press that steps in and says, we'll just right. run this thing, the printing press, as long and as hard as we can to basically make this problem go away. There is no printing press in crypto. So that's what's missing. If you want to continue with a, with a centralized model of, of brokeraging, you're going to need a, some kind of version of a central bank in crypto. Otherwise, you're going to have to move to DeFi because DeFi... What is not a problem here? All the big DeFi protocols, they just work. And they can, you don't like the price because it's falling, but they just work. We'd have to That's move right. to that model. People on, on, on Twitter are trying to distraw, draw that distinction between CFI and DeFi, and I do too. But I could tell you who it's going to be most difficult to draw that distinction to. Um, you know, um, go to Congress and try to explain the difference between CFI and DeFi to a, con uh, to a, a congressman. They just hear crypto and they just been told by JP Morgan after they just gave them a big donation, crypto bad, do something about it. And do that's exactly what they're going to do. They, this, they're not going to make a distinction between CFI and DeFi. It's crypto. No, and that's no. the problem. Mm, yeah. And look, you know, we, we've all heard the over the years, at some point, the government's just going to ban it. We can't ban a decentralized thing, right? You know, it's like squeezing air in a balloon. The air just goes someplace else. But what you can do is you can destroy the on-ramps and off-ramps. You actually can't even ban those because they'll just move to another jurisdiction. But you can do what they just did. 
you can sow the seeds of doubt, create the bank run that Jim just described, and then you end up with an obliteration. But here's the thing. Over the course of time, from the 1700s to the 1800s to the 1900s, this has gone on multiple times, right? There have been multiple attempts to challenge the 800-year reign of the banksters. Multiple attempts. All kinds of different things from savings and loans to, you know, the trust companies in the 1890s to the free banking era, you know, where they outlawed national banks. There have been lots of attempts. But at the end of the day, the Rothschilds and the Morgans and all the other part members of the cabal come back and they destroy the trust that Jim talks about in these emergent systems, investment banks. Okay. Had a great run until what? Well, until they got greedy and got over leveraged. Because at, at the end of the day, there's a point, there's a tipping point. Some leverage, perfectly appropriate. Too much leverage, lethal. And that's yep. what happened here is if you think about why did, why did Celsius go down so fast? Well, two reasons. One, excess leverage, but also this, this silly, you know, uh, own token where you pump up the price to create equity. Same problem mm -hmm. with FTT. BlockFi survived the longest. Why? Because they weren't doing that. There was no BlockFi token. There was no excessive leverage. They had a couple of bad loans and the hole wasn't even that big. I mean, the hole was measured in, you know, hundreds of millions as opposed to billions. So, yeah. but it was still a hole and it was I'll come back to risk management. My heart goes out to Zach and Flory. Honestly. All of it They're goes back too. to risk management. And here's the thing. As much as I, I mean, I love what I do right now, right? I'm, I've gotten into this industry. It's populated by these incredibly young, talented people. But they're young. And they, they are young. don't have experience, particularly in the TradFi world. And the TradFi world is all about risk management. It's all about risk management. Mark, you hear that? You hear that from some in the industry, in the crypto industry right now, going, we're making the same mistakes as TradFi. I'm like, right. yes, because if you were in the TradFi space, you'd see that you don't do this and you don't do that because you know what the outcome is going to be. And how do I know that? Because it's already exploded it's in, already in the TradFi space. So don't do it here. And they're, they're, they're so yes, the, the crypto space is making the same mistakes. And by the way, to your point, Mark, about, you know, um, uh, the, that everything always comes down to protect the bankers. What came out of the 1907 crisis? The Federal Reserve. That was the that was Federal the catalyst Reserve. to say we need a regulator to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And remember, things moved a little slower. Then by 1913, they created this, the Federal Reserve system. Then. Well, and 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 they got that model. I mean, I can't remember from the Bank of England, which which got the, the model because that was the Rothschild clan that had left the Netherlands, which set up the original central bank. And it was propagated by J.P. Morgan's best friend's father-in-law, Amory Aldrich. It's shocking how it, it all comes back to the same people every single time. And 
And look, at the end of the day, and I, I said it on stage, and maybe I'm going to turn out to look like an idiot, not the first time. Um, I said, <laughs> don't worry, Mark, if you do, you've got the Up Only podcast to go to. <laughs> there you go. All right, okay, there you go. Um, look, I said the 800-year run of the banksters is over. We're here. The crypto industry is here. We're going to create this new financial system. And it was like, you know, no, it's not crypto. It's Bitcoin only. I'm like, well, I'm not going to go there. I mean, I have the buy Bitcoin sign. I love Bitcoin. But, but there's more to it than just Bitcoin. Oh, I, and it you is a new that, financial system. That is, why, that is why I've been such a big proponent of this. It is a new financial system, especially with DeFi. And you're right. And, and Mike and I were talking about this right before you jumped on. Um, what just infuriates me about the Bitcoin Maxi argument is take that vitriol and aim it at JP Morgan. Don't aim it oh, at Ethereum. Amen. Amen. You know, that, that's amen. who Fight your a common problem enemy. is. Fight don't, a common enemy. Yeah, don't think that tearing down Ethereum is the fix. It's the TradFi system that you have to go after. You know, but they've got that they've got their anger pointed in the wrong direction. Yep. Mm. Um I so I guess uh you know, Jim, maybe if you had to weigh in on, on you know, Mark's point where maybe this is there, there is some nefarious activity going on on the TradFi front. Maybe it's some sort of money laundering ring for the Democratic Party. There, there are, certainly are weird connections, I will say, between Alameda and people's parents and, and Sam and everything. And like my, my person, if I had to in one sentence describe the difference between this in 2017, 2018, in 2017, everyone knew it was vaporware. So when it collapsed, I don't think people were surprised. This time, everything was vaporware, but you had a very professional market apparatus and people just took leverage out on that vaporware. So like, that's what I think is happening. I think it's just unwinding and this is totally a self-inflicted wound. I'd be curious where you sort of fall on the spectrum of those two descriptions of what's happening. Well, I mean, effectively, what, what, Mark, effectively what Mark describes is what has happened. I mean, the, he was the second largest donor to the Democrat Party after George Soros. He was a $40 million donor to in this in this recently recent election cycle. And by the way, just a quick uh, aside, raise your hand if you thought Monday morning, oh yeah, the midterm election be like the fourth or fifth most important story of the week. So, you know, because that's essentially what's happened with that. He was the largest donor yeah, to the Oregon uh, governor's race. Um, and so by doing that, go ask, go ask Ken Griffin. A simple question. You are a huge donor to the Republican Party. Does that put a target on your back? Oh, yeah, it puts a target on your back. Even, you know, and so, but you have to be willing to accept that target. And I don't know if Sam, you know, or was what really understood that. Don't make statements like, I'll spend a billion dollars to sink Trump. All right, you may believe that and you may want that, but there's 50% of the country that is going to come after you for a statement like that. Are you ready for that coming after you? And I don't think he quite understood that. And that's why that's why a lot of corporations, at least used to, not so much now, used to spread money around to everybody. You know, that's why they didn't want to make an enemy of anybody. If you you know, you want to make an enemy of half the country, donate just to one side. And that's that was a big problem that he and that angered a lot of that angered a lot of people. And then don't forget, our system of government is so corrupt anyway that it is an indictment that he's spending all his money in Washington talking to uh, regulators. And like I said, he's writing, he's taking the FTX business plan and making it the law of the land because we have a corrupt system. 
because you can do that if you have enough money. Uh, yeah, you but know, let's, that, let's just back up. I, I, I agree with everything Jim says. Absolutely everything Jim says. Um, but let, let's just back up one second. What is the FTX business plan? That's the part that's so, so mysterious here in that if there was no real trading apparatus that was profitable, right? It was just a, a shit show, um, self-described shit show. Um, and, and really they were siphoning money, customer funds into that shit show, either to be incinerated or to be handed to political candidates. Why would he be in Washington again, doling out money to curry favor to get legislation passed against DeFi, against foreign competitors like CZ, throwing him under the bus. I mean, like say, right? Throwing his kids under the bus. I mean, really? Really? Um, that would piss me off too. But, yeah. you know, come after me personally, fine. Come after my kids? No, not so much. Um, so, in fact, I had to, back to football. I was at a Michigan football game, Michigan Notre Dame football game. And I'm with, there with my daughter and her friend. And this drunk guy comes up. He's like 50-year-old drunk guy. Comes, and he's like, in my daughter's face, what the F are you doing here? Get out of here. And I'm like, oh, great. Now, I'm You were in the big game. house here? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, big house. Okay. And I'm like, yeah. I'm going to hit this guy. Right. And then I'm going to go to jail. He's the idiot. Right. If you want to assault someone, assault me. Don't assault a 17 year old girl. I mean, come on. Um, and by the way, if we don't come, there's no game. So you should welcome us. You know, if you want to thrash us on the field, fine. But anyway, so um, here's the, the, the big problem. If I am right that this entire thing was created by Goldman Gary and the other central banksters to destroy all the progress that we as an industry have made over the past decade, couldn't execute it better. You have a useful idiot, Manchurian candidate that is up there sounding good. Michael, you, you, you think he sounds good. If you watch the Manchurian candidate, when they turn that chip on, he sounded awesome. Awesome. But when they turn the chip off, he was an idiot. And you guys don't think he sounded like he knew what he was talking about? I so. I watched that video of Voorhees and and now I've gone back and watched some other clips since. And I, I agree with you. There are times when he did sound intelligent, but the 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 description of him playing video games while the Sequoia people are there. That read like parody. You, I, it's did not. they publish that on their website? It's real. I, that is, I can't believe it's that real. They did that? He supposedly did that during a Bloomberg interview too. That um, he was on a Bloomberg interview and he was somewhat distracted. And the rumor was, look how that he dresses. He was playing a video game. He was playing a video game during. The look interview. how he dresses when he's on Washington. I mean, yeah. he did that 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 big panel with the two girls. And look at him. That is not a picture of a great leader. It's just not. Yeah. I mean, I'm wearing a t-shirt, but this is casual. No, 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 no. You don't wear gym clothes to go talk to Sequoia. To Sequoia. You just don't. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I got to be honest. Uh, again, I feel like maybe 
were on slightly different wavelengths. I, who I thought that reflected the most poorly on was Sequoia. I like couldn't believe that uh, that was their reaction to. They were like rejoicing that someone was playing video games while talking to them. And you know, there was this one anecdote, you know, where they're like preparing questions for him, and the question is. And by talking to the world's first trillionaire and the partners like trying this out on the other partners at Sequoia, I was like, do you have a complete lack of understanding for how you sound to an average person? I mean, yes, it read yes, like something out of Silicon Valley. They do. Complete. Yeah. Complete. Like it came across so badly to me. I actually couldn't believe that it was real. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of surprises this week, at least for me. So, um, so can I throw a question to you guys? Um, it it appears if you look at what's uh, some of the on-chain stuff that every centralized exchange in the world right now that's outside the U.S. So leave um, Coinbase and Gemini off the. But all the other global exchanges are getting huge outflows, and the only person that's getting inflows right now is uh, Binance, and. Uh, <laughs> Is where is this going to go, and are we going to see the? Are we going to see the ultimate consolidation? We're going to have one. We're going to have one global exchange here. I mean, where do you think this is going to go? I think. Um, look, can I, I tell the story actually about this? Is my framework now? Gilded Aid. These are the, the the competition tactics that I think are basically you're watching play out in real time. So John Rockefeller, he had these oil companies, right? Standard Oil. Um, and he would do business on railroads, right? So that was the way that oil used to get transported in the United States. Now they all still go through Still is to some extent. <laughs> still ask, is to, yeah. Unless you live in the all... central part of the country where Buffett pays to keep- Yeah, Buffett owns cars. all the railroads that do that still transfer the oil. So at, at one point though, there, were, uh, there was a, pipe, a pipeline started to get introduced, right? And pipelines had been used in kind of a minor way, like transport like a mile or something like that. But there was this company that kind of theorized that you could do pipelines over a longer distance and they they do this. At the time, John D. Rockefeller, he had a lot of influence in Congress, right? And his lieutenants were like, hey, you got to lobby to stop this, right? This is going to be massively disruptive to our business. We got this great thing going. He's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just going to let it let it happen. So it works. They set up a pipeline. Oil is successfully transported, you know, along this, this corridor. And all his lieutenants are like, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? This is going to be... So what he does, he controls the railroads. He makes it free to transport oil, either makes it free or pays people to transport oil along the segment that the pipeline services. So the pipeline was going to be cheaper, but he could subsidize basically into infinity free. Pipeline starts to struggle. They go belly up. He buys it the next day, gets all of the technology uh, and basically starts to build his own uh, pipelines. Where does he lay those pipelines? Right across the railroads so that he reminds all the railroad operators who's really in charge. That, first of all, it's one of the most cold-blooded stories in business history. That's what Binance is doing. But I, there's, a, there's a big it, difference with Binance though. Um, I'm gonna accept what CZ wrote the other day that if the entire crypto space is going to implode and you're going to have sub $10,000 uh, Bitcoin and you're going to have, you know, high hundreds in, in the high hundreds uh, for Ethereum, he doesn't win on that scenario. He, he doesn't win mm. by getting all of the brokerage accounts into Binance if all of the coins just coined up, you know, disappearing. And then everybody loses apathy and they stop trading anyway. You know, that mm. Rockefeller didn't have that. When Rockefeller bankrupted mm. the, the oil companies, he didn't have the New York Stock Exchange plunging the price of his railroads by 80 or 90 percent. And that's the yeah. that's the difference here. Yeah. Mm. And and 
and it's it's such a it's such a really uh, important point, Jim. That um, a total meltdown isn't good for the cause, right? It is good for the banksters. So again, back to incentives. Does CZ have the incentive to blow up the system? Nope. Nope. Does, hmm. you know, Goldman Gary? Yep. Yep. So let's talk about incentives. That, that, it all comes down to incentives to me. And I said, I, I missed it. I mean, I, I've, I've been stuck on that you can't, that the government couldn't ban it, that the government couldn't prohibit it, that couldn't couldn't slow the growth because there was enough movement, there was enough people that wanted a better system, that the $7 trillion of graft and corruption in the traditional system that goes into a very small number of people at the tippy top of the all-seeing eye, I thought that I thought the movement was strong enough, but but this is is a blow to that, and and the infighting is making it worse, and the you know the the call to get all your stuff you know off the exchanges and onto my socks into cold storage. Look, I've said it before. If if all this is is storing stuff on a thumb drive that you bury in your backyard, we're done, right? We got that. That's called gold. We've had gold for thousands of years. And yeah, the digital version is a little bit better. It's more portable. It's more divisible. Fine. But gold, useful market cap in, in that job. big a deal. It's it, not that big mm, a deal. And, and to that extent, um, I agree with you, Mark. What my concern is is when the regulation comes, and what I mean by punishment regulation is you're going to turn this into you're going to turn this into a digital version of TradFi. We already have TradFi. If we have a digital version of TradFi, we've accomplished nothing. Okay. This is you know the answer is people say the answer is DeFi, and the answer is self sovereignty. I 100% agree with that. But to get people to understand that, because the other problem you're going to have, look, we're six months past Terra, and we just had another blow up that was related to that. We're going to every week, it's going to be more BlockFi's and more multi-coins. And it just keeps coming and coming. And the public and pretty soon the VCs and everybody else is just going to say, it's such a toxic shit show. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't even care if the price goes up. You can't trust it anymore. And that's going to take a long time to get that trust back. So when people say, yeah, this is the final capitulation, you're right. But that process is not going to be over with on Tuesday. It can take years or at the very least many, many, many months is what it could wind up taking. This is not going to be uh, an easy process to do. And for all the builders out there, I mean, how many how many treasuries of FTX ventures are now got money on uh, you have no longer have a treasury because it's been trapped on FTX and now they can't pay their employees. Now they now their their projects are basically done, and how is it going to be then to find alternate sources of of capital to continue with those projects? It's going to be really hard to continue to build from here. I I have the same I have the same thought. Yeah, I mean that's I, I'm trying to get a sense too of like the I mean no one has a crystal ball right, but just the when I look at the the most immediate outcomes right, there are large centralized counterparties uh, that had 
deep exposure to Alameda, right? There's crisis of confidence, right? Basically, there's going to be a whole bunch of different runs on banks. That's why I'm sure you've seen uh, proof of reserves. Uh, Nansen's trying to aid other offshore exchanges with proof it's of reserves. It's called DeFi. We already have it. It's called, it's called DeFi. DeFi right? I, yeah, we have that. Yeah, I, I've heard of that before. By, yes. By the way, look at Silvergate. You know, Silvergate is the big bank that uh, funds a lot of crypto. Look at what its stock has been doing the, this week. It has been just getting massacred um, Massacre. right now. Yeah. yeah. Can you explain why that is? Because they've got loans out to crypto and crypto mm. is now toxic and they've got an mm. exposure to crypto. The other thing to watch, too, is the Grayscale Trust uh, discount, I think, is going to is if it's not a record, it's going to go to a record. Um, yeah. You know, and that's that's the you know, that's that's another indication of the concern about the industry that you can buy grace. You can buy Bitcoin at a 40 percent discount or a 35 percent discount. By buying Grayscale Trust, nobody wants to touch it right now. And that's yeah. because that's those are people in the TradFi world that don't trust it. Could the price go up? Yeah, but then it'll blow up again and I won't know when to get out. So I'm just not going to play that casino. I'd rather take my money to Vegas because when I lose all my money in Vegas, they give me a free drink. You guys don't even give me a free drink when I lose all my money. Yeah. And I get Dancing Girls too in Vegas. So That's I win right. twice. Yeah. You know what's, what's really interesting? There was another point that was made that, that I thought was – was very insightful and you know people are going to say ah bullshit you know really you, sh you are wearing your tinfoil hat you go okay we'll see there was a great point that again um so technically uh sequoia didn't lose any money right sam gave them a couple hundred million bucks and they lost 150 million bucks by giving it back to him okay so technically they didn't lose any money uh, i mean they did but okay but it was his money so, in fact, that's a great strategy. If you could give money to venture capitalists to have them invest in your company, that's awesome. That doesn't happen very often, but okay. Here's the, here's the part of the plan that, that actually someone put this out there. And it's, it's so sinister. I love it. Have to get sinister in there for Sinister Saturday. So sinister. It's They're like pretty sinister so far. Yeah. I would so say this, this, discussion. this is all about what's going to happen at the end. The feds are going to seize something. They seized Mt. Gox. They seized Silk Road. They see they're going to seize it, right? Then they're going to auction it off. Who's going to buy it? Sequoia or Paradigm, which came out of Sequoia. And again, this is very sinister stuff. If if your goal is to accumulate a large asset, you don't send positive stuff out and get the price to go up. You send negative stuff. Soros was a master of this. Julian Robertson was a master of this. They want to buy a big copper position. They put 50 million short copper, spread rumors that copper is going to zero. And then when it tanks, you buy it. You buy it. And I think that's exactly what's going on. And I think this entire organization, it turns out there wasn't much organization there. There was not much there there. It was masterfully, masterfully, magnificently okay marketed mm. you know the whole naming of stadiums by the way there's a perfect correlation with stadium uh -huh. naming and bankruptcies perfect it correlation. is it is one of the best enron the field best. right oh yeah worldcom stadium tropicana i mean go down the list oh i didn't actually know that that's funny i didn't perfect oh, yeah, correlation michael that it's like really something like 80 something percent or whatever the number is of stadium names, those companies go bankrupt. Mm. Including, you know, what was it? What was um, 
FTX field called before that. I think it was Wells Fargo, and then they had their scandal. And before that, it was American Airlines field, and they went bankrupt. Bankrupt. You know, you know. In Chicago, we've got the United Center named after United bankrupt. Airlines. They went bankrupt right after Three they times. did that. Three the times. only thing that's the only the only indicator that's better than that is when some billionaire buys a sports team. Bezos wants to buy the Commanders. That's the high, you know, at that point, because what that suggests is Bezos's attention is no longer on Amazon. It is yeah, now right. on finding a running back and Amazon goes right down the chute at that point. Mm. Yeah. Ask David I, um, Tepper how he's, how he, he's yeah, doing. Yeah. Yeah. How the, how's, how's the fun doing since he how's the uh, fun started... doing about as well as the, it's about as well as the Panthers, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, the Pan- and I live in North Carolina and it's, it's, I mean, we are the worst team in football. I mean, speaking of the Panthers, how about the how about the guy who's been having the worst three weeks maybe in history is Tom Brady. First, he loses the Panthers. Then he gets divorced (laughs) and now he gets rugged by FTX. How's your fall going now? (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I'd love that that tweet, Jim. It was it was so good. And. And it's just, again, if you were scripting the perfect scam, you would involve celebrities you would involve sports and athletics and you would create this aura of, of legitimacy. Mm-hmm. But the books would favors the brave fortune favors the brave, but the books wouldn't balance. Right. And if the books don't balance, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing what you can do if you don't actually have to balance the books. Mm-hmm. Look yeah. at the United States. We can send Hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine that gets funneled then back to defense companies and the districts that the, the senators own. Okay, but we don't have to fund it with anything because we could just run a deficit. I don't know. It's amazing what it's I, amazing what you you could do when you send five hundred million dollars of customer money to Sequoia to invest back into your brokerage. Okay, firm. yeah, but here's the thing. So I don't know about you, but in in my family, if if my income goes down, my spending has to go down. I, I, I just I just don't understand how that works. <laughs> um, I think that the important thing, uh, you know, we haven't touched on kind of the legend that was built around Alameda. And I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard SBF describe how Alameda first came to be, but it was a very, uh, it was a very similar story, very consistent story that he told over the years, which is, I used to be at Jane Street. You know, we understood what arbitrage was. I looked at these spreads. He talks about this thing that used to exist called the kimchi premium, which was the Bitcoin that was trading locally in the United States on exchanges based over here was, you know, at some point anywhere from like a 15 to like at times like 20 to 30% difference, right? It was much more expensive over in South Korea specifically. So I think the reason why that was an important story to tell is it implied the strategy that Alameda would use for making money, right? It implied a strategy of arbitrage as opposed to going lever long on shit. And it provided an explanation for this is how I make my money, my cash, right? Because FTX and Sam were promising enormous amounts of money, right? I don't know what the rights to that stadium cost. I don't know what the rights to TSM costs, but 500. That's what I heard. Uh, That's what I heard. uh, Okay, $500 million, you know, Sequoia, uh, you know, donation. He participated in Twitter, you know, bought uh, or whatever. He tried to, um, maybe he didn't actually, uh, but he tried to buy or he bought that share of Robinhood, like huge amounts of like real cash money. And I think, uh, you know, FTX, you know, from what I heard, I haven't, I haven't looked at their books, but 
I heard they were not a super cash profitable business at that point. They were spending on growth. They were cash flow negative. So it begs the question, where the hell are you getting all this cash from? You stealing know? it. Um, stealing it's it. It's, super... it's, it's my money. It's your money. It's customer money. There's a lot of money. They, they stole it. Money. This is, I, this is going to go down keep... as one of the great, you know, and, and, uh, in, in history. And a lot of people still don't get it. I mean, Dave Portnoy had a, a tweet the other day. He goes, well, I, know, I bought I some that. Bitcoin on FTX. So why can't I get my Bitcoin back? Because it's no longer there, Dave. They took it out of your account and they blew it on something. They sent you a piece of paper with a number on it, but there was nothing backing that pe- that number. It, it, your oh, money and the other doesn't part, exist. To that part, Jim, um, look at the history of frauds. It's family. Madoff family. It was his brother-in-law that was running the, you know, I always say mm-hmm. the thing about, you know, Madoff, they call it hedge fund problem. But there was no hedge and there was no fund, right? He hadn't made a trade in 13 years, literally had not made a trade in 13 years. And there was no fund, right? He literally, the money would come in and his brother-in-law would transfer it into his personal accounts and he stole people's money. All the while. The incredible thing about Madoff was for 13 years, they would, remember this is pre-internet, they would mail you a piece of paper with a bunch of numbers on it. Yeah. And you'd look at it and go, oh, wow, look at me, I'm rich. And 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 then the crazy. He kept that going for 13 years. It was incredible. But he also did, he also did the inclusion thing. He would hold court at the Palm Beach Country Club and he would sit in the corner like I am at a table for four. I'm actually sitting at a table and he would leave one seat open and a other member would bring a newbie to meet the king. And I was there and I watched this. This guy gets up, says, you have to let me in. Don't you know who I am? And the guy had said, I'll invest, but I need to come meet your team. And Bernie's like, no, you're out. So it was this, this non-transparent, I mean, opaque. So we got, we got family. We got the ex-girlfriend running, who has no experience. I mean, none. Okay. Running this multi-billion dollar trading firm. We got uh, other family members involved, like there's some other uncle or something or aunt that is the, the head of regulatory. Or and then you had the, the, the famous, uh, I think they were Korean brothers, again, down in Palm Beach that ran the, the crypto scam. I mean, not the crypto, the, the hedge fund scam. It's always family and you got Bankman. Oh, by the way, where did Bankman go to school? He went to this place called, called Yale. There's this skull and bones thing and, and they're all politically connected. And Clinton, who also went to Yale and spoke, spoke at the FTX conference. And that, wait, and then free it again. What is her job? What is her job? Her job is to raise money for politicos Okay, but she's a Stanford professor, and anyway, mm. I digress. This is this so, is uh, this is bad I have, stuff. I have um, a little bit of an inside baseball question for you, but it is relevant. Um, it has FTX been reopening for withdrawals in the last day or two? I keep reading that or keep only uh, only in is, the Bahamas if you're an employee or friend of the firm. But here's the problem. Oh my god. That. Here's the problem with that. Most bankruptcy law, and I'm no expert on bankruptcy law, let alone Bahamas bankruptcy law. Totally illegal. Yeah, you have to distribute money equity. And there is a thing called the clawback. And what could really blow this up is 
Firms will come out and say, we got all our money out. We're good. And then the bankruptcy judge in a month is going to say, claw back. We want that money back. And then what's going to happen is everybody who had money with them is now suspect to a run because they're going to have to give it back. Yeah. And so this is he's he's making this worse by letting everybody out now because we're going to go through this whole clawback crisis um, coming up once they file and once we start getting into this because all the money has to be distributed equity and this is not equity. And so we're going to have a real problem. So be careful if you're a brokerage firm saying, no, we got all our money out. We're good. Because, yeah. you know, come middle of December, some bankruptcy judge is going to say, I need it back. And then no, that's no, going and to be look, a real I, problem. And I, I will corroborate what Jim is saying in two ways. One, that's exactly what happened with Madoff, right? If you got your money out at some period, I don't know what the window is, nine months or 12 months, but there, there's I think some, it's, it's 90 a meaningful days. window. No, yeah, oh, 90, 90 days. Okay. Yeah, 90, 90 days. days. So, so there's this window where if you got your money out, they call it back. And, and the, so, and, and my personal experience is I, uh, uh, one of my siblings had to declare bankruptcy and I had provided a loan on a project that he did and he had sold the house. He's a, he's a home builder and had my money. And the bankruptcy judge came back to me and said, nope, you got to give back, uh, uh, one seventh of that, because that's what, you know, the unsecured creditors are due and, and you got out. And I literally had to write a check to the bankruptcy uh, judge that gave it to the credit card companies, which are supposed to be unsecured creditors. I was secured, but that's not the way it works. So what you got to be careful of is the way that they're handling what? this. Oh, no, no, Michael. It's, it's all it's the money's going to go back in to a big pot. Yeah. Lawyers are going to get paid for two years to argue yes, about it, and it's going to get lawyers. remixed out and resent back to you. So you'll get your money back a little bit less in three less. years. And that's or if it's in the case of Mount Gox, in eight years and still waiting, or nine years and still waiting. So you know, so he's winding up screwing everybody who got out because yeah. now you're going to be on the hook for a clawback. And remember. Maybe you have some coins in a cold storage and, and you, you don't want to give it back and you can hide. That's fine. You're a retail investor. I'm talking right. about other centralized exchanges, other trading shops, other VCs, miners, validators. Hey, knock on the door. I need that money back. And that's going to cause a problem. People are going to panic. I can't trust anybody now that had anything to do with FTX because they might be on the hook for a clawback if they don't yeah. handle this thing properly. And just the from only, where I'm looking, it doesn't look like they are. No, no, no. Jim's so right. The, the one ray of hope. I want to. I want to get a little bit hopeful. Um, I mean, we could go all day here. And as as Jim, what we're saying, we we, we don't want to. I have do, things to be hopeful about. Yeah, we were going to go. Be, we were going to go beyond uh, Joe Rogan. Let's go, Lex Friedman, and go. Lex five Friedman, hours. five hours. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we're definitely. Uh, I, and and look, I was supposed to be. I should. I'll, I'll tell a funny story on myself. So I was supposed to be in Cayman today for a, a Real Vision event, and I'm very sad that that, I, that I'm not there. Um, but uh, to make a long story short, I changed bags. I used to carry a briefcase. Now I carry a backpack. And uh, I always keep my passport in, in my bag. But in the process of changing bags on a trip we did over the summer when we took Will to, to the UK, my wife carried the passports because anyway, I, I don't even know why. Oh, no. So- because I get on my she, flight. She wife. That's what they I, do. Yeah, I get on my yeah, exactly. I, I just do, yeah, do. My wife tells me go where she says, do what she says. Yeah, you know, honey, do. Sounds, sounds um, like my wife. 
So I get on, I get on the flight. I get to Charlotte. I walk up and they're like, passport, please. I'm like, passport. Oh my God, I'm going to a foreign country, right? Cayman is a foreign country. I don't have my passport. So I'm still here today, but, um, so my bad. Um, but I can go all I've day. done that once going to Canada for that exact same reason. I forgot. But Canada's it was a not a foreign country. country. I mean, yeah, exactly. Is it my driver's license good enough? I mean, come yeah, on. exactly. They, yeah, they, they were like, nope, sorry. Um, I don't know. But, well, where, no, the, the one, the one thing is we've lived through every single one before. Mount Gox, way bigger deal than this. Could have killed the whole industry. You think about the consolidation and, and how much of, of crypto was there. Clearly, sh- and, and look, we, what did we go to? 84% in like two hours that, that, that mm-hmm. day when that happened? I think that's the number. Um, that should have killed it, but we didn't die. And Silk Road should have killed it. We didn't die. Um, lots of other exchanges have gone down and we didn't die. So I mm. actually believe we, we will survive and thrive, but Jim's point is really, really well taken, which is this one's more insidious, which is why I think it's all a government psyop, because mm. there's going to be the, it's, it's interwoven into so many other entities, particularly on the TradFi side. And that's yeah. where the regulatory response here is going to be draconian and punishing, punishing. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I know. I, I'm not familiar I, enough with Magic the Gathering. I've, I've been playing it with my son and, and Mount Gox. You know, it was called Mount Gox because of Magic the Gathering, right? Magic the Gathering online exchange. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I, I agree I, with you. I wish I, I knew the right you. card. There is a card called like the Punisher or something that that literally like destroys. Oh, so I think it's a murder card too. So the, 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 the punishment... Uh, approach of regulation, I think it's gonna be bad. You know, and I wanted to just echo your optimism. I, I do think that the industry will survive this and it will thrive. But what is the immediate road ahead is not going to be easy. It's it, right. this no. is not. You know, That's people like to think that you know um, capitulation is the other guy pukes up his position, so I could buy cheap prices. <laughs> you know, <laughs> capitulation is when you puke up your positions. Uh, and uh, and give up. And so yeah. this is not going to be easy. Will the industry survive? Yes. But just set your expectations that the next several months is going to be very, very difficult uh, before yeah. this thing, eventually the storm clouds break and things get better on the other side. I have a, um, I have a hope. I, I think, I think if there's a silver lining in all of this that happened, it's, it's in what we learn and take away from this as an industry yeah. moving forward. Right. Like that's, that's the only thing that you can do is, is get better. And what I would hope is, you know, this whole relationship between Alameda and FTX, everyone knew about this, right? Like everyone knew, like, even if he hadn't been funneling customer deposits into Alameda, it's still pretty weird to own the sole market maker, right? That gets priority flows on your derivatives exchange. That's not like a cool thing, right? Everyone just Unless you're Goldman. That. Unless and- you're Goldman Sachs, then you can do it. Right. And and people and people turned a blind eye. Uh, or so, Citadel. Do you, you, know, do you are- think though that part of the reason they turned a blind eye is let's go back to twenty and twenty one and think about the insane the insane shit that was going on then. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, uh, sushi swap and Chef Naomi and all that crazy crap that was going on back then. 
that you're looking at, eh, I'm transferring customer money into Alameda. This is what we've been doing in this industry the whole time. And no one had a problem with any of that stuff when we were in the middle of that mania bull market. But what we yeah. fail to recognize is this ain't a bull market anymore. You know, and when you had right. the poly hack and he gave back the money and then he got the job, I'm talking about the hacker gave back the money and then he got the job as the head of security. You know, that, that these are just funny anecdotes, but that shit don't fly in bear markets. And that's what we, no. we have to start to realize that the tide has changed now. And the other thing I wanted to, you know, along the same lines is from this moment forward, hacks are no longer allowed. You know, you, you, you know, you, you put out a project, it gets hacked. Go ask JP Morgan for a job. You're done in this industry. You're done. You cannot yeah. continue to put out half-ass projects that get hacked and go, okay, let's just do another half-ass project. That worked in 2021. Yeah. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah. I uh, I mean, the, the other silver lining that I'll say is, is part of this is, you know, I love this industry. I've made really good friends here. I have super high uh, uh, meant, like thoughts about many of the people that work in this industry. I will say, like, there were conferences that I went to last year and these people that I was meeting and talking to, and you just, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. I didn't get the impression that people were doing their best and in it for the long term and trying to build stuff of value. I got the impression that I was working in a big casino. And I've been pretty clear on this podcast. Like, I want to work in this industry for my entire career. I actually care about it. And so I don't like, I, I never liked that kind of stuff. I never liked that, that particular feeling. So I'm hopeful that this washes some stuff out. Um, and what, and that we can... what comes out of every bear market, right? What came out of the bear market in 2018, 2019 was all the DeFi protocols, right? The unis mm -hmm. and the Aves um, and the uh, curves and um, makers. They all came Maker, out of this. Those yeah. bear. They all came out of those bear markets. Some good is going to come out of this bear market. We don't know what it is. It may not have already been created yet. And this is going to be from the people that are committed to this industry and not just here to talk about channel breakouts and making money and whether or not the candle wicked and all that other stuff. Those are the people that just want to get in, make a lot of money and get out, you know, use this place like a public bathroom, get in, do your business and get out. You know, and so that's, yeah. the, you know, so those people are going to be, uh, washed out of this industry. But I think who's going to be left is going to make the next great set of protocols for the next bear market. But again, don't think it's next week or next month. It's going to be a little bit longer than that. That's no, going to take time. And and Michael, you, you said it, right? That, you know, my friend Bill Duhamel says it, you know, with every investment, we get richer or wiser, never both. Yeah. Right. Never. And you only become introspective when you lose money. And so we got a lot of introspection to do now. And I think Jim's right. We, from that introspection will come, will come greatness, but I'm, I'm worried about what I, I've talked about this, this cycle, right? You know, it's the Gandhi quote, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you. This is the, then they fight you phase. And the fight is, is about to take, a mega notch up the, the punishment that's coming is, is going to be, I mean, and look, she's maybe the, she might be the worst person I've ever seen in a job, the white house press secretary ever in my career. I mean, she's just horrible at her job, but you know, when she's up there mouthing 
the words that, you know, crypto industry, the White House believes crypto industry needs regulation now. Like, how about this, y'all? How about you regulate something that actually really, really, really harmed the average investor? Amazon lost more money in the last 11 months than all, than all of the crypto industry together. It's the all first company, it's the first company to lose a trillion lose dollars in market cap. Trillion, a trillion. So this whole passivization, the whole index funds are good, the buy stock at any price, that harmed 401ks, which are now 201ks. It harmed the average investor in in immense ways and created massive profits for who? The people who wrote the regulation. You guys know, right, that BlackRock and Vanguard have people that write the regulation in Washington. They sit on a committee. Think about this. The people who benefit the most from mutual funds and ETFs wrote the regulation that makes mutual funds the only option for retirement accounts. You know, a lot of people don't understand this. You know, that when you read this thing about here's this 2000 page bill that no congressman has ever written. Who is the expert in Washington that wrote that 2000 page bill? The industry, the industry that is being regulated. They're the only people that know it. Come in here and help expert us write this Expert in bill. Washington. That is a that's like mm -hmm. a unicorn. That right. expert right. in Washington by the that way, does not um, exist. Right. By the way, uh, as far as Amazon losing a trillion dollars and maybe regulating him, you mean the guy that owns the Washington Post and wants to buy the commanders? You know, you, you want to regulate me? Oh, wait, here, I have a ticket in a box here for the Green Bay game. Maybe that'll change your mind about regulating me. Doesn't, like I said, why do we keep buying politicians? Because the return of investment is better in buying politicians than just about anything you've ever invested in in your life. Oh, I know, Jim. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you the perfect example that this, this one makes me seethe every time I tell the story. I hate that. In 2014, in 2014 uh, last time oil had the, the big run-up, the most profitable company in America that year was ExxonMobil. They made $40 billion in profit. There was a 40% corporate tax rate at that time, which got lowered because of money uh, from Warren Buffett to get it lowered. So he could buy Apple and get the dividends for, for lower cost. So long story short, they were the number one lobbying company that year. They spent $327 million in one year on the street. I mean, uh, on, on the Capitol Hill. How much did Exxon pay in tax that year? So they should have paid $16 billion. Jim says zero. That's a good guess. Minus $1.7 billion. They got a $1.7 billion refund. They turned $327 million into $16.7 billion. I mean, $17.7 billion. Instantly. Instantly. So the, it's yes. the greatest IRR investment there is, is to buy politicians and buy regulatory favor. And that's what Sam, Sam's parents, no, no, no. Sam's parents on behalf of Silicon Valley. Because by the way, remember how many times, how many times has carried interest been threatened to be uh, turned into ordinary income? <laughs> how many times? Yeah. I got to be honest. That one is a, uh, that one's, that one's indicative to me of entrenched interests. I'll, I'll, I'll side with you on that one. That and, one is and, wild. And how little exists. and how little it took to save carried interest, right? 
a couple of donations to one senator in Arizona. Not, yeah, not even that one wasn't even expensive. But right. it all goes back. That's that's couch that's couch coin money is what they spent to save carried couch interest coins, on that. I love it. Um, I, I guys, I, I want to actually just talk a little bit. I mean, if if we weren't if this hell hadn't blown up this week, what we would have been talking about on this show, right? Is first like we might have been touching on the midterms, right? Yeah, uh, maybe. Which, Jim too. Uh, but also, uh, you know, I'd want to talk about the CPI print that came out yesterday because uh, if it hadn't been for all of this stuff blowing up, it probably would have been a pretty good week for crypto, right? There was a, you know, it was lower than expectations. This is sub eight handle. It was 7.7 headline CPI. Uh, we saw things finally ease up uh, and markets reacted super positively. The NASDAQ closed up, you know, 7% yesterday. It's 929 right now. So I guess we're going to see how it opens up today. But uh, what did you guys think about this, this CPI print? It was only the third time in the last 20 months that it was below expectations. So it was a shocker because we keep hoping for this lower number and we finally got one. We don't get that many of them. Um, It basically showed the positioning that the market had, that you had this massive short squeeze. And I don't know if you saw, but the Goldman Sachs has an index called the, the most shorted stocks and it was up like 11 or 12% yesterday, one of the biggest up days that it's ever had. So there was no doubt that everybody was positioned very short and they got squeezed on this. Uh, The other thing I'll point out, you know, the up 5% day on the uh, S&P, the biggest day since April of 2020. Watching this podcast, listening to you, Mark, you're the one who pointed out to me, reminded me, the biggest up days occur in bear markets. Bear markets. You you don't get 5% up days in bull markets. Those Never. are what happens mm. in, go back and look in late 2008, how many times you had five or 7% updates. You had many of them. This Six. is what, yeah. this is what happens in a bear market. You get these kind of squeezes. That doesn't mean it's a one day affair. It will continue to go, but you know, just a quick take. It was a big shock and everybody was very, very short, uh, the market. And then the last thing I'll point out, um, we've been doing a little bit of work on this too. Something like near 40 plus percent of the options market, it trades on options that mature in less than a week. That the options market has become, you know, the week, you know, the other big story of the week that has completely fell down the rabbit hole, which might have been a big story, was somebody won $1.9 billion in the lottery in California. California is a new billionaire. Yeah, we, don't know, yeah. we don't know who it is. Well, there's lottery tickets being sold all the time on Wall Street. These are people that are playing these options that expire in two days. They buy these out-of-the-money options for a penny, and they hope for something like yesterday, and then it goes to $0.09, and I made 9x on my money. Of course, what they don't tell you is you probably lost 17 times in a row before you wind up making 9x. Again, you you want to regulate somebody, regulate that nonsense, regulate that with one button on Robinhood, you can do a leveraged option strategy with one button mm. and you can just vaporize money. If, and we're if, opening I, up we're opening up weekly options. Why what is the economic rationale for saying we need to have options on Tesla and the S&P and Amazon that expire in 48 hours? What is the uh, what is the economic rationale for that other than Ken Griffin trying, gets richer. The right. only no the only cuz Ken owns the largest market maker in options. So it's only to make him richer. Right. And he paid for that legislation. Full stop. And look, Ken is the smartest man I've ever met. Full stop. Absolutely. 
those 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 48 hour options and this is becoming huge in this gamma squeeze that you get all the time in the market who's that competing with it's competing with the strip in vegas because that's who if you weren't doing that that's what you'd be doing with your money you're not you know you're not reading warren buffett's annual letter if you weren't trading in 48 hour options these are lost not, wages the opposite lost wages has moved from a physical place in nevada to the metaverse Right, lost wages is happening with people day trading these these stupid options. Look, eighty five percent, and this is a real number. You no, know, eighty five percent of statistics are made up on the spot. This is actually a real number. So, eighty five percent just happens to be the same number of options expire worthless. Eighty five percent. Think about it. if you flip a coin, you got a fifty fifty chance. But anytime someone wants to buy a, a call, they should buy a put. If you want to buy a put, you should buy a call. You should do the opposite of what your in you know your nature tells the you Costan- to do. The George Costanza strategy is what you should exactly. do. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and but but here's here's the 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 craziness of of all of this is the there are zero, zero up four percent days in a bull market. Absolutely zero. I mean, none. And people say, no, 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 there are some. I'm like, no, there are not. Because the very bottom, right, where it, it makes the final inflection, that's still not a bull market. It has to go up 20% to get to the bull market. So every single up 4% day, every single one is in a bear market. Because what is a bear market? A bear market is a market that goes down on most days and up sharply. The key is sharply. On good news or perceived good news. Yesterday was mm. perceived good news. It was not good news. 7.7% CPI is not good yeah. news. It's a I'm perception of good news that caused a massive short squeeze. I mean, there were some stocks yesterday, like Carvana. Carvana is a zero. The equity of Carvana is, is worthless. Their liabilities exceed their assets. It's a worthless business. It went up 30% yesterday, 30%. Okay. And yet it's barely visible. I tweeted out another one where it went up 20% and it's barely visible on the down 90% year to date. Cause you know, the math is, is really hard. You know, if you're down 90% and you go up 20%, you made two points back of the 90 you lost. So it's a, it's mm. a long way. It's a long way back, but bull markets go up every day or most days. And go down sharply on good on bad news or perceived bad news. The one thing, and someone did point this out to me that I actually wrote a long time. I did this store, uh, paper on on Soros and reflexivity. And one thing George talks about is that when you get close to a phase shift, you get increased volatility. It's like when water is about to shift to gas or solid, the the molecules start vibrating really fast. So when you do get a lot of these big moves up or down, you're at a transition point. So we are probably closer to the ultimate bottom. I don't think we're there because Jim's been been hammering on this. The economic data, forward-looking, is atrocious. It's atrocious. And the earnings are going to be awful. And the multiples are still high, particularly because they're like, yay, he's only going to raise 50 basis points. 
That's still you know, and, and that's y'all. got that's got this perversion in the market too. It's almost like what what um, market players are saying is, I just wish we would have a recession. Everybody would lose their job and earnings would fall apart because then the Fed will cut rates and we could then rally the market in all of that disaster. So it's like they're cheering on bad news. Um, and this is mm. never going to end well. By the way, just so everybody, you said zero, zero, four percent days in a bull market. Yesterday, we were up five and a half. So, <laughs> you know, so if, if you want to make the case that we broke the cycle yesterday and you're right, a bull market, I actually think a bull market only begins when you go beyond the old high. I don't think the bull market starts to get above nice. 4,800. Otherwise, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, it's like, um, you know, the the two and 20 model that you keep paying. You got to go above the high watermark. You can't keep paying for the same real estate over Amen. and over again. That, that's a really important point. And look, yeah. it, we're, we're in a bear market in, in equities. We're in a bear market in, in bonds and credit. Look at Tesla bonds. 60 cents on the dollar. I mean, that's not good. I mean, Twitter bonds too. 60 cents on the dollar. I may have those two conflated. I may have those two conflated, but I thought Tesla bonds were, were down too. Maybe they're, maybe they're down down with the stock. Um, And his, his, his sell earlier this week, his, uh, what he sold a bunch of stock, what he sold $4 billion worth of stock earlier this week. Yeah. Help. Yeah. How about taking over a company and then telling the employees that you didn't fire, um, yeah, we probably are going to go bankrupt. Love that. I actually, uh, something that I heard that uh, this probably isn't the biggest of deals, but I cannot imagine what these phone calls must have gone like. They came in, first of all, it comes in with a kitchen sink, uh, you know, basically grinning with glee, like childish glee that he's going to chop. Wasn't that two half, weeks half, ago, by the way? Two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks. And yeah, we're two talking weeks about ago. bankruptcy. Can you imagine how it, what JP Morgan and all the other lenders must feel like? That 14 days yeah. after they extended the loan. I can only imagine what those yeah. loans are trading at in the secondary market right now. So he does that. He fires 50% of the people. Then he actually finds out that some of the people that he fired were mission critical employees, has to call them and ask them Shocking. to come back to work. That is, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine being on the phone call. But it's happening all over in big tech because uh, you know Meta laid off 11,000 people this week. And their well. stock rallied um, 6%. I love it. I, I actually kind of like I kind of like that. I let me let me make a case. I feel like I'm sounding. Uh, let let me make a case to you guys. Um, I actually don't view everything that's going on and everything that the Federal Reserve is trying to accomplish as a negative outcome. I will say, like one huge headache for me. Like I even talk with a lot of my my friends, right, who are in a slightly different age bracket than than you guys, and people might be pretty surprised. Actually, maybe it isn't surprising to you guys, but like what a lot of people are saying is like. Well, I should, do I really need to work? Like maybe I should just take like a year off and, you know, travel. And it's like, these aren't people that have enormous savings or I, I was always in the back of my mind, like, how are you going to fund this stuff? And, you know, the H, the discussion in HR professionals is like, this five day work week is going to be over soon. And, you know, people want their feelings heard. That is not, that doesn't align with my personal philosophy of how the world works. And I do think with layoffs in big tech and, you know, you're starting to see a return to something that feels more normal, I suppose. Um, do you think there's any merit to that viewpoint at all? Or, or what do you guys kind of think about that? What do you mean by more normal? I mean, I'll just say to you that I don't think that the the work from home thing is going to go away. We're, we're in a permanent hybrid. I don't hybrid. think so either. We're, we're a permanent hybrid model. We're not going to go back to the office yeah. five days a week. I know Elon is pushing him back five days a week. We'll see how that how, how that winds up working. Except for him. I mean, he can be remote, What's, but that's okay. 
Yeah, it, yeah. On his new on his new G seven hundred, he could be remote uh, as well. Uh, but uh, I I think you know to your larger point, if I'm reading the question right, this is normal. What we have now, this mm. is like the new post pandemic normal. Pandemics mm. do make margin, major changes in society. What they do, mm. yeah. they yeah. don't create a new trend; they speed up trends. Yeah. So. Uh, Nick Bloom of Stanford University has done a lot of work on this, and um, he points out where we are with work from home. We were going to be here in 25 years. We just got here in two mm. because of the pandemic. So mm. now we have to assimilate to this. What's happening with the supply chain? What's happening with a lot of other things? Tension in the world with the Ukraine. This was all going to happen anyway. It just all happened really fast. And now we have to kind of assimilate to it. And for those that keep saying, no, we got to go back to 2019. That's my pre-pandemic world. We're not going back there. We're not going back there. Mm. Now, I didn't say this new world's dystopian. It's not. It's different. But if we keep applying the old model to what we've got now, we're going to keep running into trouble. Uh, I've used mm. the analogy. The closest thing that we've been doing with the economy now is the post-World War II period. The big difference, September 45, the war ends. Everybody knows we're now going different. We're going into we're going into a we're going into a peacetime economy. In mm -hmm. 1947, no one goes. When do I get my job back making Sherman tanks? Because that world is over. Yeah, right. But in 2022, Dave Solomon, if the, the head of Goldman Sachs, is saying, "Oh no, we're going to get everybody back in the office in five day, five days a week here soon. We're going back to 2019." That's where I got the phrase. Those were his exact words. That's like like I said. That's like in 1947, asking where your job is making yeah. Sherman tanks. We're not going back there, but what we are, mm. that doesn't, don't confuse that with dystopian. And the sooner we understand this, the economy needs to be restructured for this new world. The sooner we could get about restructuring it, but we don't want to restructure it. We want to have a debate whether or not we need to in the first place. So we're wasting time is what we're doing. And this yeah. is going to take some time. Well, we got, we have a bad focus, right? It's, you know, mm -hmm. Trump came down when he was campaigning to, to Jim's point and said to this woman on TV, I'm going to get your job back. Textile worker displaced because her job went to, to China. I'm like, no, no, you're not. Not ever. That job's never coming back from China. Never. No way. Zero. Mm. You might get her a different job, you know, get her college, you know, a community college degree, get her a job, in pro, you know, look at the future, but you're not getting her job back. No way. But here's the problem. And, and this is a, a giant problem. So we, we got the participation trophy problem. That's that's a massive problem. We told kids they're great their whole life. They don't have to work, whatever. That that's that's a generational issue, and it's it's the parents' fault, not not the kids' fault. But the the real issue for me is ten years ago, China made a decision to be the best in the world at AI and five G. We made a decision to be best in the world at social media. <laughs> And we fucking rock social media. <laughs> Our social media companies are amazing. Although they just outdone us with, with TikTok. By the way, did you see this yeah, thing about TikTok? The TikTok, TikTok. What they show the Chinese kids. Oh, this science, is a math, uh, you know, uh, 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 nationalism. Heavily, heavily and, and what they show us is, you know, naked pictures and, you know, I, I just nonsense, right? So, so, so here's the thing. Social media is the problem. 
Th think about most of what Web 2 is. Most of what Web mm. 2 is entertainment. Ask a kid, ask my 11-year-old's classmates, what is your aspiration? Influencer. I want to be an influencer. I want to be a YouTuber. Are you freaking kidding me? It's the new fireman, right? What, that's are what 11-year-olds, when we grew up, Mark, me? that's what okay. they wanted to be. We have to make things, and they don't have to be physical things like Sherman tanks or, or brick-and-mortar buildings, but we have to make the future. And the future is DeFi. The future is code. The future is, you know, AI and ML are going to eat software. Software ate the world for 20 years, AI and ML. This idea that, that we can just all entertain each other, that is dystopian because that is the WALL-E where there's those giant blobby people on the lounge thing with their big gulp watching the screen, telling them how to think, telling them what to do. No, 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 no. That is not where we need to be. And if it were up to me, I'd obliterate it. You, you want to go regulate something? Go regulate how much time people can scroll Instagram. In China, 40 minutes. If you are under 14, 40 minutes and it turns off. Yeah. I got to be honest, I, uh, I'm coming over a little bit to your guys' way of thinking on this. It is, look, it's not a healthy thing. I mean, you guys are also parents. I mean, I, there's a lot of stuff on my feed where I don't think young kids should be nightmares. able to do it. I, I deal with nightmares twice a week, twice yeah. a week from stuff that he gets served up that he doesn't understand that is, is and, and it pisses me off and, and, you know, you do the parental controls and that helps a little, but it's insidious. The algorithms are insidious and it's, and it's frustrating and it's, I don't know. The, the whole thing makes me angry and, and look, it's worse for girls than boys. I mean, I'm lucky my littlest guy is, 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 is a boy. I agree with that. The, the, yeah. what, what social media does to the self-esteem of young girls, I mean, oh, it awful. is horrific. It is horrific. Yes, yes. Horrendous. Um, all right, guys, we've, uh, I appreciate you both been uh, super generous with your time here. We're, uh, no, this was I, I wanna, big I, fun. I, I want to get closing statements on the, the sort of two things that we talked about. So you think, you know, pretty firmly still in a bear market, there are still rate hikes to be had and, and pain to be felt in, in markets. And then I'd love to get kind of closing thoughts on this whole, you know, SBF debacle and sort of where we, where we go from here. Yes. Um, we are, the industry is still too important and has too much to offer that it will ultimately go away, but it's going to have to start to rethink its tie to centralized exchanges and centralized authorities and maybe push more towards DeFi and more towards use cases. You know, what is the big no coiner argument? What do you do with these coins? Well, let's find ways that you could do something with them other than hodl them and lend them out and make more I money agree. and interest, like right. use them in payments and other things. And if we did that, you could present the industry as an alternative to the current financial system, which no one is happy with. And I might add, when no one is happy with, here's another fun stat for you real quick on that side. There's 11 sectors in the S&P 500. In the last 15 years, the worst performer of those 11 is the financials. And within the financials, the worst performer is the banks. The market is sending you a signal. This industry, TradFi, is ready for disruption. 
Now, somebody come up with an idea of how to disrupt it. DeFi is that idea. Mm. So let's get away from the casinos bullshit and let's get away from the perpetual futures trading and all this other stuff. And let's get on to the idea of building a better version of a financial system and offering that with self-sovereignty and everything else that it has to offer to people. And this industry will be just fine. But if you're waiting in your account for number go up and talking about mooning again and all that other stuff, we're not going to be fine. And so this Hmm. is going to be a major inflection point for the industry. I happen to still be optimistic on it. It's going to take some pain. It's not going to be easy, but it rarely ever is. Yeah, I mean, everybody re-roll the tape, go back and listen to the two minutes that Jim just summarized so perfectly and so eloquently exactly the issue. I mean, th- this is this is it, right? It is It is about building the new financial system. And, and this goes back to... Uh, fintech, right? We had 20 years of fintech. And there were a lot of big companies created, a lot of fortunes made, a lot of fortunes lost. But the problem was there was no tech. All we did is we took better UI UX, we took things out of banks and put them onto apps. You don't get your mortgage from a bank anymore, you get it from an app. You don't get a loan from a a bank anymore, you get it from an app. And so to Jim's point, why are banks the worst performing? Well, for lots of reasons, but that's part of it is, is the most profitable parts of their business got, got you know moved, but there was no tech. We're still using the 70-year-old ACH, Fedwire, Swift system. And now we actually have tech. Blockchain is the tech that takes us to the evolution of the financial system and what the internet did to media and commerce completely disrupted, tired, worn out, bad industries and moved it into the 21st century. And all that market cap from the big incumbents went to the newbies, the Netflixes and the Amazons and the Apples. And that was amazing. Blockchain does that to financial services, but to absolutely Jim's point, revolutionizing or evolutionizing, because it doesn't have to be radical. It could just be an evolutionary process. Uh, Isn't about blowing everything up. It's about iterating on the good and, and doing things better. But most importantly, it's not about taking the same model, TradFi, and making it digital, making it electronic. You have to take the, the new things that are better, self-sovereignty and peer-to-peer and permanent immutable ledgers. And, and all of that has to, has to be embedded. But here's the thing. There's a transition point. And that transition point, no, that transition point is knowledge and experience and wisdom. And I say this because I'm the old guy, right? Respect your elders. Every one of these innovative companies should go find a person from the TradFi industry with lots of experience and bring them in and embrace them and have them help. I mean, I love Zach and Flory. I love them. You know, put a lot of money with them. We made a lot of money together. And unfortunately, you know, looks like we're not going to get it all out. But what they should have done 
is brought in some gray hair or white hair or some other color, blue, it doesn't matter. And got some people with experience to help them navigate the transition because the incumbents were going to fight. And guess what? If you brought somebody who had some relationships, maybe he could deflect some of the fight, he or she could deflect mm. some of the fight. So I, I just think youthful enthusiasm and energy is the only thing that has ever changed the world. Full stop. Just uh, two quick things to follow up. Mark, agree with you. Blue Star has a fintech index, a fintech stock index. It's down nearly 70% this year. And that's because of what you said. If you take crap and you make it into an app, it is still crap. <laughs> I <laughs> you know? love it. You, know, and you that's take crap, you drop the C, and it's an yeah, app. I love yeah, it. Exactly. Because that's all oh, I'm fintech using that. is. You're taking the you're taking the lousy fin, fin, uh, tradfi system and you're sticking it on a phone. It's still the lousy tradfi system. Oh my god! And it, it was all written in C plus plus. So apps right. are just crap without the C. Oh and my about god, and, so and, awesome. and as and as far as you know, having an old guy or a, a white haired guy or an older guy on your staff, they're there for one reason. They've blown up. Anybody who's been in this business, exactly. you blow up. You know, like exactly. I, I as I said, there's only two types of traders in the world. There's traders that are blowing up and traders that will blow up. You blow up as a trader. You blow up <laughs> in this business, but you survive it. And then you carry that wisdom and go, you know, I, I've seen this before and I know how this movie ends. And you could bring that wisdom to the table. Let's not make this mistake again. Because as we talked about earlier, I just see, uh, you know, crypto just rerunning all the mistakes of TradFi. They've already done it. Why can't you learn from it and not make these mistakes all over again? Because you don't want to bring anybody in that's done that. So now all the 30-somethings have to just repeat the same mistakes. Same mistakes. That everybody else does. You know, so can, I, can I point out one mistake that's like ex ex extremely frustrating for me uh, to watch? Because it seems kind of obvious. Is like... People, just because something can be used as collateral doesn't mean it should be used as collateral. <laughs> right. And everyone is like, if you look at a lot of the stuff people are excited, but thank God we never found a way to get NF use NFTs as collateral because we that were was, working on it. We were working on it. We were yeah. working on it. Yeah, it was always going to be a disaster. And anyone with the two eyes and a brain could look and see that that was never going to work. But I mean, even it's, it's been surprising to me that these blue chip trading desks and everything, they were using this stuff as collateral and also the real one is companies collateralizing things with their own equity that that is literally what enron that's literally yeah. what enron did right. i don't under why literally. can we just you, you know what put that, that is? in stone you know what that is when you when you create your with your own equity or your own token is you've created your own printing press but in order for your right. printing press to work you need to have two other things you need to have taxing authority and a standing army because if you don't have those mm. and you create a printing press it's not going to work no, go back yep. to the free banking era. That's exactly as Jim describes. Go back to the free banking era. Texas had their own money. Corporations had their own money because there was no national bank. They, they, Andrew Jackson killed the national bank charter. But you don't have the standing army. And look, the only reason a monetary system in history has stood is because you had the most powerful Navy. Full mm -hmm. stop, right? You were the world reserve currency because you had the most powerful Navy. What China figured out a decade ago is the next era of dominance will be chips, not ships. 
It's not your naval superiority. It is your cyber superiority. And that's what the promise of blockchain does is it takes us away from nation states, brings us into the metaverse where you can be sovereign anywhere you want. You can be part of any community you want, but we have to have communities and sovereignty around ideas that don't have, you know, unlimited printing presses that aren't, you know, collateralizing with their own equity. And so I am, I am, I am a little bit sympathetic to the, the Bitcoin maxi saying that, that this digital gold should be the base layer. Yeah. Gold has been the base layer of the monetary system for 5,000 years. 5,000 right. years. Right. So digital gold is the base layer. That's fine. But the base layer is not all there is. The monetary system works. And, and, I, def and I defy anyone to show me different. Name a country that has a bad fractional reserve banking system that you would live in. I will wait. No one yeah. will tell me one because fractional reserve banking on its own is not bad. It's only bad when it's abused, either through excess leverage or bad collateral or bad or lack of risk management. So what we had was not bad ideas. Centralized exchanges are not bad. They are not evil. Run improperly and maybe in FTX cases run for a different purpose than being an exchange. Then they're bad. But the idea is not bad. And rallying against rehypothecation and rallying against leverage is wrong. It's wrong-headed. It will not, it will not advance us forward. We need to come around this idea that Jim talked about, which is create the bones, the, the base layer technology of this new financial system, and we will emerge stronger and dominant as an industry and as a cohort and as a community. Hmm. The one thing that I'll say is as a positive as well, um, moving to the uh, protocol layer as opposed to the financial infrastructure layer. This is when you know a lot of this does remind me, frankly, like if you right now Ethereum is viewed as extremely blue chip in some circles, just as blue chip as Bitcoin, right? Depending on whatever your persuasion is. There was a period of time uh, in 2018 when it looked like that was going to zero. I mean, it was mm -hmm. in free fall from you know from 1440 or whatever the high was back then down to $86. And, and, and on top of that, like nothing was working. And on top of that, right now there's DeFi and Uniswap and compound. None of that shit existed back then. And it looks like, and during these periods of time, this is when the true believers emerged, you get forged in the crucible here. And I think there will be, it's, it's up for grabs, right? But there will be communities like that, that come out of this particular period of time where there's not a monetary incentive to stay anymore. And people are just there shipping code, building belief. Like this is when those really great, excellent communities end up getting built. I Amen. Think. So Amen. Yep. some, those, those will, there, those will come out of this. I, I'm not going to name anyone. I have a couple ideas, but yeah, I think, uh, I think great communities will come out of this, but, um, Guys, um, we've, we've, we've done this proud. I think I've gone I for about two have. hours here. So I yeah, have. I think we've done uh, yeah, it's a ton of fun, Mark. We always have fun, but Jim, it's great to have you on. Uh, yeah, thank you. Well, I enjoyed it friend. very much. No, awesome, Jim, thanks. Guys. Thanks for being here. And uh, thanks everybody again who, who listens to this every week. I, I, I am so humbled every time I meet somebody who says, Hey, I have, I have coffee with you every Saturday. I'm just like, just 
makes me feel feel good because I, I love doing this. I love Michael for for having the the genius to to put this together a year ago, and uh, when we can attract you know superstars like Jim to join us is is just unbelievable. All right, fellas, this has been a ton of fun. We will uh, see you both soon. All right, be Cheers. well. See you. All right, be well.